Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water Community Church, one of them. Um, We are in a series that we have simply and coincidentally, but there are no coincidences with God, right? Called This Is War. This Is War. And the last series was Stormproof. Go figure. Stormproof right into This Is War. And it seems like everything is breaking loose in this world. We've been talking about or taking the models from our present-day military forces and looking at their histories and seeing how they can also apply biblically to our lives. And today's, if you haven't figured out, is from the Marines. It's called Semper Fidelis, or Semperfi, which is Latin, which is short, is short for Latin, which means always faithful. Always faithful. That is the Marine motto. Now, full disclosure, notwithstanding I'm an Air Force guy, of all the models, this one probably resonates with me the most. Any jawheads in the house today? Come on, somebody. No? No? Oh, we do? We do? Come on. Yes. In World War I, the, 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 they say the Germans, the Germans called them Tufelhunden, which, which means devil dogs. Devil dogs. But the official title is United States Marines. I salute you, sir. I salute all those who have served in our military. The U.S. Marine Corps motto, again, Semper Fidelis, is legendary. Semper Fi is yelled, cheered, or used as greetings, not just, and it's not just a motto for the Marines. It's a way of life, always faithful, always faithful, and embodies the Marine Corps' forever commitment to both their fellow Marines and the United States. Now, in my humble opinion, that should be all of our goals. Amen? all of our models, to be always faithful, always faithful to God, always faithful to our families because God expects and rewards faithfulness. You need to hear this. That's the story of the talents that Jesus told in Matthew 25, verse 21, where he said that the certain businessman had given out talents and resources to to certain people and told them he's going to come back to see what they were going to do with what, what, they, what was given to them. And a couple of them came back, and when, when, the, when the master came back, they, they had taken the investment that was given to them, and they doubled it. And one took theirs and buried it in the sand. And to the ones who doubled it, this is what he said. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. He says, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But the ones who took their talents and their resources and buried it, he called them wicked and lazy servants. Now, certainly a few things, in my opinion, would include faithfulness to your families. Amen? I remember there was a prophet who, well, at the start of his ministry, he felt like he was hearing significantly from the Lord. He'd just gotten saved. And so the Lord had 
he said, Lord, what should I do with this great gift that you've given me? The Lord told him to go to the local church and submit to the leadership of the local church. And so he went in and he declared himself to be a prophet. And, and God has been speaking to him about certain things. And I want to be used by God in this church. And the church came back and said, okay, this is what we'd like you to do. And they handed him a mop and a bucket and they told him to clean the church. And to which he got really upset, threw down the mop and the bucket and he says, don't you understand, I hear from God, and he walked away, and as he walked away and was going down the street, his words, he heard the Lord say, you turn back, you humble yourself, and you be faithful in the little things that I've called you to do. That prophet was Kim Clement, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he went from that to, to being a voice to the world, actually, a prophetic voice to the world. God expects faithfulness, especially in the little things. And again, the little things should include our families. Even during fearful times, and how many know we are in those times, the stories coming out of Israel are absolutely heartbreaking. One of them came to my attention immediately, a, a, a young couple by the name of Ite and Hadar, and the, I looked up the, the article it says that a heroic Israeli couple was murdered by Hamas militants in their home, but they managed to save their twin babies by hiding them in a concealed shelter. Ida and Hitar had just seconds to react when they heard gunmen trying to smash down their front door. The couple, both 30, fought with them, but were shot during the assault. They had both military backgrounds, they are one of the few people in Israel that had weapons because of their military backgrounds. They found seven dead terrorists on the doorsteps. This couple literally said, over my dead body will you get to my children. The article lit, went on and said, Gali Dagan, the Israeli ambassador to Colombia, revealed the 10-month-old twins were miraculously found and rescued by Israeli soldiers after being left alone for more than 12 hours. Mr. Dagan said, imagine the horror, two terrified parents doing everything they can to save their children who are now orphaned. Blessed be the memory of these heroes. I've been listening to the reports coming out of Israel. I heard one mother of a son who was killed say it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Now, the Israelis are largely a people with no Second Amendment rights. They were told that not to worry because the military or the police or the government were going to protect them. And in one day, one four-hour period, 1,200 of them died or perished or was taken into captivity. So in less than three years now, we have a war raging in Europe and in the Middle East with our closest allies as well, a war in Europe and a war in the Middle East, which was predicted, by the way, by many that the moment our government started to release billions of dollars to the Persians or the modern-day Iranians who would chant death to the Jews and death to America. The Jews are the little Satans, and in their minds, America are the big Satans, and they would dance in the street when tragedy comes our way. Folks, we better wake up to what's going on in this world and wake up and understand who our enemies 
truly are. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are in a war in more than one ways. The world is starting to look exactly like Jesus predicted it would in the last days. Matthew 24, he said there would be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. He said we will see nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. He said there will be persecutions that will take place and betrayals, hatred and death and a great falling away from the faith. And then he says, and all these are just the beginning of birth pains. And we see many of it unfolding right in front of our eyes. Now, now more than ever, it's important. Listen to me. Now more than ever, it is important for us to be faithful, to be ready to defend and to aim high, fly, fight, and win. Again, Israel is experiencing all this in real time. They're finding themselves facing attacks on multiple fronts with bombs coming out of Lebanon from the north and Syria from the east as well as Gaza from the south. The Bible commands the Christian to pray for the peace of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In fact, he says God will bless those who bless Israel and he will curse those who curse them. And so let's pray for them. But let's also pray for the innocent Palestinians who are being used, used as pawns by the demented leadership and find themselves caught in the crosshairs of this horrible, horrible war. There are many Palestinian Christians caught in this mess, but really no place to go. And that is an absolute tragedy. My heart is breaking for them as well. So these are indeed potentially fearful and dangerous times, one of many periods in the Bible that Israel has had to deal with the constant threats from the people around them. And in this message today, we're going to be looking at another one of those times as recorded in the scripture and what was done to bring them back to faithfulness to their God because the reason they were constantly coming under attack was because they were constantly strained away from the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were constantly straying away from what God was asking them to do. In Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands at that time of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to, to where? Gaza. To Gaza. Curious. Seems like Gaza was under the control of the Israelis at this time. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents, their swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelis, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, 
and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. So the Israelis were in this position according to what the Bible says and according to what the prophets said because of their continual disobedience. And we will see that pattern over and over throughout the generation and the histories that the Israelis would be, become oppressed because of their sin and disobedience. They would cry out for a deliverer and God would send a deliverer. And in that deliverance, now they enter into a time of blessing and, and, and covering from the Lord. But while they were being blessed, they would forget the Lord their God and they would start to stray again into the things that the Lord was offended, God would take his hands off and they would become an oppressed people again. And this cycle would be going on for generations and generations and generations. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Listen to me this morning. I don't think that Gideon was being disrespectful in any way. I think he, he knew what he knew because he grew up under the oppression of the Midianites and now all of a sudden this heavenly person or God pops into his life and declares something that, he, that didn't appear to line up with his reality. First of all, he's calling him a mighty warrior to which he says, excuse me, sir, listen, I grew up in Sunday school, okay? I heard all the, the, the stories about the miracles and, and the pardon of the sea and, and the plagues and the blessings. I've heard about this land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey and that God would never leave us, notwithstanding your declaration about me being a mighty warrior. Look around you. Look around you. Do you see what, what I see? Do you see what we, what we are going through? There's a, there's a reason why I'm threshing wheat in a wine press and not in the open air. You see, a wine press was designed to press wine, not thresh wheat. Wheat was supposed to be done in an open field so that when you threw the wheat up, the wind would help separate the, the chaff from the kernels and so that they can easily gain the food that they needed. The reason they were there was not faith at all. It was fear, fear of the Midianites. And, and the truth is, if we're honest, we'd all have to admit that we all struggle with different fears. The, the, the what-ifs from time to time, the anxieties that come because of the news reports that we see 
happening in the world, the economy. What if I, I, I lose my job? What if my car breaks down? What, what if he or she leaves me? Worse, what, what if aliens are really real? Come on, somebody. What if this climate crisis that they're telling us about is actually going to happen? What if all this takes place? And, and so we're riddled with similar anxieties. But I love the response that the Lord gave Gideon in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and he said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Come on, somebody, listen to me this morning. God will never ask you for what you don't have. Well, Pastor Rick, I mean, what, what if I don't have it? Don't worry. He will never ask you for what you don't have, whether it's your time or your talents or your resources. He's not going to do it. He does say, trust me and show a little faith and give me what you have. And then watch what I do with it. Come on, somebody. Someone's not listening to me this morning. It's, it's the story of Elijah and the poor widow woman in 1 Kings chapter 17 when there was a drought among the land and God had sent Elijah to, to, the, to this woman's place and, and the woman was literally preparing her last meal. She was gathering sticks to, to burn the wood to cook her last piece of cake to, to feed her and a child, and then she says, we are going to die. And Elijah, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, cook that cake and give it to me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <coughs> cook it and give it to me. And, and in the process, she had a choice. Do I, do I do that? Or do I just look at my reality? And she did it, and the Bible says, in doing it, a great miracle took place in their lives where the oil just continued to flow and their family was taken care of throughout the entire famine in the land. That's the story of the five loaves and the two fish. Jesus, the people were coming to Jesus by the thousands and at some point they were out in the fields and, and the, the disciples said, send them home. And, and, and Jesus was concerned that they, they were going to collapse on their way home. He, he says, you feed them. There were thousands of them, and the disciples said, Lord, we, several months of, we don't have several months of salaries to feed these people. Jesus said, what do we have? And along comes the little kid, and the little kid shows up with five loaves and two fish. A, a happy meal. Come on, somebody. <laughs> a happy meal. And in that moment, he says, give that to me. And he takes that Happy Meal and he blesses it and he starts to distribute it. And in that moment, he, he passes out and he feeds five, he says, 5,000 men, not to mention the women and the children as well. Listen to me. God will never ask you for what you don't have. But he will ask you for what you do have. And to show a little faith. Apply a little faith, put it in God's hands, and the victory is uh, assured. Because if you keep it in your hands, it's just a happy meal. But if you put it in God's hands, it will feed the masses. Come on, somebody. And so he calls Gideon to go in the strength that you have, and then he reminds him, <laughs> am I not with you? Am I not sending you? But like like 
us, Gideon didn't feel like he had anything to offer. And in 15, he comes back with, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And then the Lord answered again, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, most of us have read this story. If you haven't, go ahead and do so. But we're going to find that Gideon, he took all sorts of convincing before he would take the limits and the restrictions off of himself and off of God. First, first he thought he was going to die because he saw the angel of the Lord face to face. And God had to convince him that he wasn't going to die. And then he decided he was going to put a fleece before the Lord, showing his further reluctance. Lord, if this is you, he says, take this wool fleece and allow it to be wet during the day and the ground around it be dry. Wet from the dew and the ground around it to be dry. And the next morning, the fleece was soaking wet and the ground around it was completely dry. Well, you think that'd be enough? No, he said, well, okay, Lord, that's a, that's a pretty good trick. This is what I want you to do now. I want the fleece to be completely dry and the ground around it to be completely soaking wet. And the next day, that's exactly what happened. God, he did, God did the exact opposite, and that was done. And so by chapter 7, Gideon finally becomes convinced that the Lord is with him, and so he, he puts out a call to his fellow Israelites to come and to fight the Midianite hordes because they were being decimated. They were starving in their own land. Except when he does, apparently too many men show up to fight. And God is concerned, listen, that if they win, they're going to attribute it to their own strength and their own arms instead of turning back to him. You see, the whole point of this heavenly intervention was to try to get them back on track. They, they'd become idolaters and, and blasphemers and fornicators. They'd taken on the attributes of the very tribes that the Lord drove out before them following hard after false gods of the previous occupants of the land. It's the reason, again, they were in this situation. They were disobedient, disobedient to the word of the Lord and disobedient to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But just like my wife's favorite verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Come on, somebody. So even though they'd gotten way off track, the good shepherd, he was going to bring them back to their true God. I'm talking to someone out there this morning. How many know you can't run from God? You can try, but you're not going to outrun him. Stop running. Because so many have gone off track and you think God is done with you. He is not. He is not. Judges chapter 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My strength has saved me. 
Now announce to the army, anyone, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. And 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Listen, what did God see in the 300 that he didn't see in the 9,700? He literally gave them a test, and he went down to the water. And to those who stuck their face in the water, he said, they're not going to be the ones. But the ones who went down like this, grabbed that water and remain watchful, those were going to be the ones that he wanted. I'm talking to someone out there. We need to stay watchful. We need to stay vigilant about what's taking place in the world around us. And with that 300, God would supernaturally, supernaturally deliver Israel. The army literally went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. But there were 300 faithful and watchful men ready for battle. Listen to me. The Bible says despise not small beginnings. Come on, somebody. God doesn't need an army. I remember that song back in the day. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a, a few good men. A few faithful people of God who will say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And those who are going to give him the glory for the victories that will take place. Judges chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And again, with that 300... He supernaturally routes the enemy and gives Gideon and his army complete victory over the hordes. They said it was estimated 135,000 Midianites that day. And by chapter 8, it was all wrapped up. Now, here's my question to you this morning. What did God do to take a fear-filled, faithless Gideon and his people and transform them into a fearless Simplify army. And for the next few moments, that's what we're going to talk about. Four ways to go from faithless to always faithful. What God did with, Midian, with Gideon, he wants to do with us. Number one, I want you to write this down. First thing that happened was he had to admit his insecurities. Admit his insecurities. Now, now this is not the the fear itself. Our insecurity is a false belief about ourselves and your false beliefs about God that keep you from moving forward in the face of fear. 
And, and so if fear is the big picture, the false beliefs that leave us paralyzed in the face of that fear would be our insecurities. And we all have fears. We all have insecurities, but we don't have to be paralyzed by them. Amen? We don't have, we can, we, the, the, the opposite of fear, listen to me, is not necessarily courage. It, it, it's faith. It's operating in faith regardless of what's taking place. Now, we saw a few of Gideon's insecurities. The angel of the Lord greets him as a mighty warrior, and he basically says, you must have the wrong guy. Look at me. I'm hiding in a wine press. And then he gives this whole list of excuses as to why he's hiding behind, as to why God clearly got it wrong. And before we jump on him too much and judge him too harshly, how many of us have ever been there so afraid of what you're facing that you hide? That you hide. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm, I know you, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever looked at your, your, your credit card situation or your bank account and, and its deficits and, and, and you saw that, that how much debt you were in and you didn't know what to do? And so instead of doing anything, you kind of buried your head in the sand? Uh, uh, you stop picking up the phone or answering the, the, the mail because you feel totally overwhelmed, so you do nothing. Some people have having marital or relationship issues, and it's on the rocks, and, and you know it's going to take a lot of hard work to get things turned around, but instead of doing what you need to do, you, you just kind of hide and put your head in the sand, or, or worse, you go into denial. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Everything is fine, and you do nothing. Or maybe you feel like your, your life is stuck in a loop. It's the same people, the same job, the same routine, day in and day out, and you just keep hitting repeat, and it's over and over again, and, and it would take a, a certain amount of courage on your part to step out and do something different this time, but you decide, I'm just going to put my head down, hide in the bottom of this wine press, if you will. I'm not going to face my fears. Well, that's where Gideon was at the beginning of his journey. And one of Gideon's false beliefs that kept him there was that he thought that God had abandoned him. Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles and the ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord will bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You see, you see he thinks that because they're going through difficult times that God doesn't love him or has abandoned him. And folks, there are people who think the same thing. You're going through a difficult time and you think God has abandoned you or doesn't love you. That, my friends, is a false belief. It's a lie. And just because you go through trying times doesn't mean God's abandoned you to your situation. If you would trust him, he will bring you out of that situation, and he will give you a great victory. That's the story. That's the song, The Waymaker. Come on, somebody. He has the ability to make a way even where there seems to be no way. Turn to someone and say, don't give up. Look at his false belief number two in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. He says, but Lord... Gideon replied, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And so the first false belief about God was that God had abandoned him. And the second is a false belief about himself. 
How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in my entire family. I'm the least. In other words, he's saying, I come from nothing. I am nobody. You must have the wrong guy. Have you ever felt that way in terms of importance in this life? Not, not, not much more valuable or needed than, I don't know, the dust of lint floating through the air. Many people feel that way. Totally insignificant, unnecessary, just destined to, to be stepped on or brushed away. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's a lie. It's a false belief that and it's not based in truth. My Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are God's masterpiece created in God to do good works. You have a purpose. God's got a plan. You are significant. And so Gideon's fears were routed in his false beliefs about God that he'd abandoned them and his false beliefs about himself that God could not possibly use him in this situation or his circumstance. What, what are your insecurities and false beliefs today? That you're destined for failure? That you never amount to anything? Some, some of you are dealing with the stuff that your mama or your daddy told. I, I was sitting down with my cousin the other day, and she said her, her mama told her she, she never amount to nothing. I'm like, what? That came from, she wasn't a Jewish mama. Jewish mamas tell them that you're going to be doctors and lawyers. <laughs> you know? So I'm like... So these are the sort of things that come up in our heart, that you're not going to mount to anything, that, or that God isn't big enough to handle whatever your situation or whatever you're facing. What are your anxieties that you've been coping with that God wants you to let go of? Some of you, it's dealing with school or body image issues, false beliefs about who you are and how you fit in the grand scheme of things. Or are you more focused on what you don't have that you're missing the facts of what you do? The main thing that we have, listen to me, every single one of us, the main thing that we have is we have God. Come on, somebody. And you plus God <laughs> means you got the victory in every situation. Romans 8.31, don't believe me. It says, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? Help me, somebody. If God is for us, I can't hear you. Who can ever be against us? And, and that's literally, he goes on to list all the things that are against us, can can height, nor death, he can, can demons, nor things present, nor things to come, you know, the past or the, or the future. If God is for you, who can be against you? Take it to the bank. Get in. You don't have to be afraid. That's the great thing about God. He, he always goes with us to face our enemy. He always goes with us to face our fears. And he has the ability to reduce it down to something that's manageable. He says, I will be with you and, and, and I will destroy the Midianites if, if you are fighting against them. Listen to me. He knows our fears and he knows our potential too. And when, and when we feel weak, God sees us as what we truly are. And we sang it in the song today. 
You may feel insignificant. God God calls you a mighty warrior. You are stronger than what you think you are. You can handle more. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Believe it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so when you feel like you're not good enough, he, he, he sees us as great conquerors with his help. And that's the key. Listen to me. As long as you hang on your false beliefs about God, and as long as you hang on your false beliefs about yourself and your insecurities, you're going to be stuck. You're going to stay stuck. And you won't always be faithful. You'll be faithless. And you won't be able to stand up and face your fears and move through it. What insecurity is keeping you from moving forward? You need to identify it. And then let it go. Amen? The second thing we need to do is is confirm that God is with you before moving forward. Confirm that God is with you before moving forward. Because fear paralyzes us and keeps us from moving forward. But before you move forward, fear should cause you to pause and to consider. In other words, stop, stop and make sure that you're going in God's Direction. How many of you know that all that, all, all that glitters is not gold? And all so-called good advice is not God advice. There's a world out there with a whole lot of advice. All of it ain't God. Amen? So Gideon wasn't sure if he was dreaming. Was this the Lord or was this the devil trying to deceive him? I mean, he is surrounded by Midianites. He is in a wine press. They are literally starving. And along comes this voice, calls him a mighty warrior. I will give you the victory over the Midianites. Is that you, God? Or is that the devil trying to get me killed? And that's why he asked for a sign. Now, can you imagine saying, saying that to God, give me a sign? And then give me another sign? <laughs> Come on. And a lot of people read this and, and they give Gideon a hard time for requiring God, of God two signs before moving forward. They say it shows a lack of faith. And let me tell you who, who doesn't give him a hard time. God didn't give him a hard time. God didn't give him a hard time. Why? Because God wants Gideon to be sure. And so in a sense, Gideon isn't doubting God or his power. He just wants to make sure it's God talking to him. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's called being wise. Now, let me translate. If you feel God is asking you to do something new, like start a business or to quit your job or to start a new one or to go ask a Christian girl out on a date or a guy, it's okay to say, even though I'm scared to do it, if this is you, I'm in, but help me to be sure that it is you because I don't want to end up doing this on my own. Too often, what we do is we move ahead recklessly, and then we ask God to bless our mess without ever asking if this was something he wanted us to do. And that, my friends, is a mistake. Better to ask him before you move forward is the idea or the plan from you. If so, please make it clear You don't have to ask him for two miracles like Gideon did, but God speaks in other ways. He will speak to us through prayer. He will speak to us through his word. 
He will speak to us through interaction with other Christians and godly counsel. Once, and then once he gives you the direction as to the way you should go, you should do it. You should do it and not hesitate. And so the first thing is we need to admit our insecurities. Just like our first message, 1-800-ADMIT-IT. That's half the battle. Come on, somebody. And then we need to confirm that God is with you before moving forward. Let me give you number three. We need to trust in God over people or things. Trust in God over people or things. In life, we're going to be tempted to put our trust in people and things before going into battle. And so Gideon raised an army of 32,000 people, and God said, no, that's too much. Why? Because if they won with those numbers, they were going to take the credit for themselves, and they're going to still remain in their faithless state, in their apostate state. And so even though they were facing hordes of 135,000, God took it down first to 32,000, and then just to 300 men who lapped like dogs. He took it to, from 32 to 10,300. Now, keeping in mind that that's a, listen, a 99% attrition. He lost 99% of his army in just one afternoon. Why? Because God wanted Gideon to trust him and not people. Come on, somebody. Or things. Now, how many times have we done the same thing? God, God if only I had, and you fill in the blank, if only I had this, I wouldn't be afraid. More money or more smart. If only my family was more, you know, supportive. If only the kids, the, you know, or, or, or good kids, that'd be even better. God, I wish I had good kids or, or a better spouse. Or, or, and we keep focusing on what we don't have and not on what we have and need the most. And the truth is you don't need more of anything else. The greatest thing you and I need is God. Matthew 4.4, 4. our next series is going to be based on this. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And unfortunately for so many of us, because we spend so little time listening and adhering to the word of the Lord, we are spiritually starving ourselves and experiencing malnutrition with our spiritual lives because we place such little importance on the word of the Lord. Listen to me. The ultimate source of fear is misplaced trust. And when you put your trust in things that are not reliable, you will become fearful. And so put your trust in the only thing that can't be shaken. Maybe you're facing something big right now. Who or what are you trusting in? If it's not God, you will become fearful of what's going on around you. And my Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear brings torment. And perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. And if you haven't heard it 
yet from anyone. Listen to what the Word of God says to you. Perfect love casts out all fear, and you're perfectly loved by the Father. You didn't get that. Now, see, if we're going to be good soldiers who are always faithful, listen to me. We're going to obey God completely and to move forward in faith. Now, this sometimes is tough because oftentimes it's counterintuitive and counterculture, and it goes against the voices of others and even our own internal noise. Listen to the apparent crazy advice that was given to Gideon to get the victory. Verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as soon as my group blows the ram's horns, those of you on the other sides of the camp blow your horns and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the outer edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly they blew the horns and broke the clay jars. Understand what's going on. There's a horde of 135,000 Midianite soldiers in the valley. God had reduced them down from 32 to 10 to 300. He takes the 300 and divides it, 100 each, and they go into the, to the if you've ever been over to Israel, they've got little mountains and valleys. And so he goes onto the mountains, 100 on one, 100 on one. They surround the 135. And they have pots with fire inside and a horn. And he says, on my cue, blow the horn. And break the pot. And the fire, this is midnight. They don't they didn't have lights and whatever. All of a sudden, everything lights up around them and, and declare in a loud voice for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the many knights rushed around in a panic. They thought they were surrounded, shouting as they ran. And when the 300 Israelites blew their horns, the Lord caused the warriors, the Lord caused the warriors, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far as Bethshita, near Zerorah, and to the border of Abel, Mehulah, near Tabeth. And a great victory was taking place. Makes no sense to go up against an army of 135,000 with just 300. Remind me of the the 300 that show that came on. But with God, listen, we have the victory. Amen? At this point, Gideon didn't argue with God. He obeyed God completely, and he saw God results. He could have obeyed God partially, and we all do that all the time. Pastor, I'm, I'm mostly sexually pure. That's like being just a little bit pregnant. Because we're still holding on to pornography. We're still doing things outside of our marriage. Or, Pastor, 
I want to forgive the person, but you don't understand what they did to me. I'll forgive, but I'm never going to forget. Or on tithing, you know what the Word of God says about it. And again, God will never ask you for what you don't have, but he will ask you for your five loaves and your two fish if you want to see a blessing in your life and the lives of those around us. Listen to me. God never blesses partial obedience. Let me say that again. He doesn't bless partial obedience. Partial obedience is really just disobedience. God loves you and he wants the best for you, and that best is found in complete obedience to Christ and striving, listen to me, and striving to be always faithful, simple, fidelis with our relationship with him, our God, and our family. That's what God wants for us. And we need to make a decision that living with our fears is not an option. And beginning today, I'm going to identify what these insecurities are so that I can overcome them and let them go and become like Gideon and take your eyes off your fears and put it on God, the same God that declared to Gideon the most important words that he would ever hear, that you and I would ever hear. Five words, I will never leave you. Come on, somebody. What are you facing today? That is his promise. I will never leave you. Whatever you're facing, you are not facing by yourself. And so God, God presents himself as always faithful. Because he always is. And he's asking us to be faithful to him because and, and faithful in the little things. Because I've had people do the same thing. Pastor Rick, I just got saved. I want to start teaching a Bible study. I want to start doing this. Wait, 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 wait. My, my, my thing is, I won't ever ask you to do anything I won't do. I clean and mop this place. I vacuum this whole place. Right? If it's good enough for the pastor... Certainly it's good enough for everybody else. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so God will give you things, and he puts things in your hands, and he says, be faithful in the little things. I've given you time, talents, and resources. Are you being faithful with the things I've given you? And there might be a time where he says, okay, I want you to be faithful and give those time, talents, and resources back, a portion of it. What are you going to say? mine. This is my time, my talents, my resources. Are you going to say, Lord, everything I have comes from you. Amen. Amen? Amen. Everything I have, including the breath in my lungs, comes from you. And I'm grateful. And stop calling yourself what you aren't. The angel of the Lord declared to a fearful Gideon, mighty warrior, 
because God sees you better than we see ourselves sometimes. You are more than what you think you are. There are no accidents in this room. Under the sound of my voice, I don't care what your mama told you. You may have been an oops baby in their eyes, but you are not an accident as far as God's concerned. You are supposed to be here, and God knew it. And he doesn't care what your past comes from. He only cares about your todays and your future. Come on, somebody. Because he says, I know the plans. I know the plans I have for you. And I've been there with Gideon. Lord, really? Do you want me to do what? Who am I? I'm nobody. You want me to speak to people? You want me to pastor a church? I'm nobody. And he says, stop saying that. Stop saying you're nobody. It almost contradicts what God is telling you. He knows what he put inside of you. And some of you, your talents are being buried. You're you're not utilizing the things that God has called you to do. That must end, especially for such a time as now, because God needs you. Amen? And he needs us to say, yes, Lord, here I am. With all my insecurities and my frailties and whatever, I hear my five loaves and my two fish. And if I keep the five loaves and two fish, listen to me, you're going to eat for a day. It's a happy meal. But if I take those five loaves and two fish of my life and put them in God's hands, come on, somebody, and let Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, breathe on it, and start giving it out, God will use your life to bless the masses. And in the end, he will get the glory because you couldn't have done it by yourself. Amen? You couldn't have done it by yourself. But it all starts by saying, Lord, I want you in my life. No. I need you in my life. I desire you to be the Lord of my life. And help me with my stinking thinking to start to change the way I think. So I want to think the way you want. I'm not not talking about pride or arrogance. I'm talking about truth. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And fear and those anxieties will start to why do I have to be afraid? The Bible says, don't, be, don't fear the person who can kill the body. Jesus said this. And after that, they can't do anything else. He said, if you want to fear somebody, fear the person who, once the body is dead, has the power to cast that soul into hell. If you want to have a reverential fear of anyone, fear God. Because at the end of the day, even the crazies in this world, the Hamases and, and those who are killing in the name of Allah, are going to stand before God. And they're going to have to give an account for their lives. And he's either going to see the blood of Jesus on you and say, this one belongs to me. Or he's going to say, I never knew you, depart from me. And it's only those who have bowed their knees to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Have you done that yet? And if not, why? And if not now, when? The Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, 
don't harden your heart because there's no guarantees that you will hear it tomorrow. I don't wish it on anyone, but we're living in a apparently unstable world where anything can happen. And so when you get the opportunity to hear the gospel, which means good news, that God is not holding your sins against you in Christ Jesus, you need to respond because to constantly be saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is presuming on the future that you don't know you have. Your tomorrow may very well be. This might be it. This might be it. That's why he says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but you respond to the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, and you say yes, and you stop running from God, and you start running to him in every aspect of your life. He will make you wiser and smarter. God went after when Jesus was walking on this earth and he was picking his disciples. It says they took note of those who had been with Jesus because they were average and everyday men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because, they, because Jesus will make you look smarter than you really are. Come on, somebody. If you would start to surrender your life to him. Amen. So if that's you today, if you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask in advance, if you've not yet accepted Jesus, I'm not going to call you out, but you would like to. You'd like me to just say a general prayer. Just lift up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor Rick. I want Jesus in my life. Is there anybody in here? I see your hand. Anybody else? I want Jesus in my life. I want him in my life. And there are those who would want to recommit their lives to Christ. Not just I need Jesus, I want Jesus and I need him. Anyone else? And listen, I don't have to see your hands online. God sees your hands. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Thank you for sending your Son to be my Savior, for dying on the cross, not for his sins, but for my sins and the sins of the world. I acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Come into my heart. From this day forward, Lord, I surrender all to you. Thank you that the promise is that because you live, we shall live as well. Three days later, you rose from the dead. And Father, now that you're in my life, help me to be semper fidelis, always faithful by your grace, even as you've been always faithful to us. I want to be your man, your woman of God for such a time as now. I commit my life completely to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all say, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, 
please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.